movie podcast that takes a deep dive into a different topic each episode. Our wide-ranging discussions will touch on genre, culture, and the history of psychotronic cinema. I'm Charles. I'm Sam. And the eternal beast locked in the center of the earth has once again been given a blood sacrifice. The great mechanical gears that power time itself have been greased up, and the AA batteries in the Almighty's heavenly vibrator have been swapped out. It's true, folks. The ritual has been completed. Last weekend was the greatest day of the year, Exhume Film's 24-hour horathon. And here, Sam and I sit before you, your humble servants, here to report back on all 15 movies screened. And I think it's kind of funny because our episodes that we've done so far, we've tried to record either hours afterwards or like a day afterwards when we were still exhausted and delirious but because we got COVID at Harathon, I have the same level of delirium right now yeah no it's funny (laughs) we are kind of like capturing the similar you know like one eyed open fucking psycho babble we barely able to breathe yeah yeah so the Harathon (laughs) uh, defeated us I we were definitely humbled this year uh we left, like, before the thing ended because, like, Sam wasn't feeling that great. And I, like, we kind of chalked it up to just, like, exhaustion. But, like, I was like, listen, Sam, we got to power through this. You know, we got we got some more movies to watch. And, like, I could see the utter death in your eyes. And you were like, I don't want to leave. Yeah. And you said, I don't want to take this away from you so you can go in there and enjoy it. And I knew that I would sit in there for six hours like Sam is like dying having a bad time i can't enjoy so so we we hightailed it a little early and then like the very next day just started dying from uh covid19 which is weird because it's not a real uh virus it's like a scam thing but my here's my theory <laughs> here's my theory is that uh during the horrorthon like an alternate dimension opened up where covid19 actually is real and and that's how we got sick. Okay, RFK Jr. <laughs> is that what he says? Well, I know he's an anti-vaxer, so I, I yeah, I'm sure he's probably it's they they're all fucked up. They got they hold ten different beliefs into one hand. But anyway, okay, uh, this this is not about us and our uh, failing bodies. No, no, but I will say I think Harathon has been going on for 16 years now, and Exhumed did all night marathons before that, and. I've been going to them since I was 15. And I think really the only way that you keep it fun is if you're not feeling it and you need to go home, you go home. And there's like, I don't really feel any sense of defeat from leaving early. I do. My sense of defeat is I'm mad that I got sick. No, I, I feel utter defeat because I have... I've definitely slept through movies, but I've always like kind of made it to the end. Or if anything, I left during the last movie where it's like I'm halfway through and I'm like, okay, it's bedtime. Oh, God, this cat is going to be an issue. But yeah, it sucks that we didn't quite finish it this year. But, you know, who cares? Whatever. But even still, with that said, 
it is the greatest day of the year. Oh, yeah. I had so much fun. And I think in a way, like we did fuck up by not getting hotel rooms for the whole weekend. Yes. But I honestly, I took more breaks this year than usual in the second half of the marathon. But I'm glad I did because I talked to so many people that I don't usually get to see, some of our listeners, some of our Discord friends. Yeah, we spread COVID far and wide, folks. Well, (laughs) so did a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. It's funny. Usually we we love having a third mic on these episodes. And like, it's great to have the the guest on the uh, the Harathon episode because it doesn't need to be one of our fancy friends who like has a new book or someone with another podcast or, you know, like some like regular or like some fancy person. We get our like, you know, our freaky weird friends to come on because it's like you don't need a fucking degree to sit down in a movie theater and watch, you know, uh, 15 goddamn psycho horror movies in a row. You just need to be willing, and that does... And masochistic. Slightly masochistic, for sure, yeah. There is, like, a point where, like, it's funny watching people kind of start to lose it, you know? Oh, yeah. And it happens. And I think part of why it happens is not just because you're watching a 24-hour movie marathon, but... Because you're really there for like 30 hours. Yeah, like you got to get in line early. Most people get in line by 9.30 or 10. The line, We got in line at like 9.30. Yeah. And the line was mad long. So there are people who clearly were in line since like 8 in the morning. It starts a little after noon. And there are 15 movies. So it actually goes till almost 2 p.m. So yeah. it's like this shit is not a twenty-four hour marathon. You're you're in it for at least thirty hours. Yeah, you really need to have. Uh, you need to hate yourself a little bit. Yeah, in just the right <laughs> way, which is great. Which is what we do around here at oh, Twitch yeah. the Death Derby. We love it. <laughs> uh, yeah, and so we don't have a third mic on this episode because we are still infectious, and um, I'm pretty sure that you cannot uh, catch the coronavirus via listening to podcasts. But if you could listen on. Well, it's like Halloween 3. We're spreading it through the airwaves. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's let's uh, let's jump right into it. I mean, obviously, uh, usually every time we do one of these episodes, we explain who Exhumed Films yeah, are. No, and there yada, are two yada. other Harathon uh, episodes if you uh, want all that yes. information. Just know that they are Harry, Dan, and Jesse, and they are like... Amazing. We love just them. Just fucking absolute kings who, like, I owe my entire, like... If if you think I'm cool because I watch movies, it's because of them. They are yeah, like the, the reason why I have any opinions on anything and I'm not just an idiot watching Child's Play 3 again and again and again and again. Well, I guess I, I kind of still am that idiot. <laughs> uh, it's because of them. They, they've really expanded my taste so much and I, I, I owe them everything i i I buy tickets to their events that i know i can't go to just because i yep i love exhumed films so damn much i am echoing all of that and eternal gratitude to them so what happens is you go to this uh 24-hour movie marathon and you're standing in this long line for several hours trust me it's great (laughs) but everyone in line it's almost like going to a sleepover to camp or something like everyone's so excited to be there hyped just absolutely hyped and to see a line of like crazy psychos who are all like like 35 or older for the most part. no no there's tons of kids they're younger people i love we are an aging audience no oh man i was happy 
happy to see all the kids out there. And by kids, I mean like, you know, teenagers and 20-year-olds. But anyway, um, they give you the list of hints while you're standing in line. And that's when the the real magic and pressure and just like feelings of like, oh, shit, it's really happening start. And we get the list of hints. And we look it over and we see that movie number one, the hint is meta and still timely suspense thriller that features a horror icon's finest performance. We thank you for the food we're about to receive in the Lord's name. A typical American family at dinner. Mom and dad, their beautiful daughter-in-law, and their only son, Joe, a homicidal maniac. Hey! What are you doing? How's your dad? It's okay. There you go. Thanks a lot. What you hunting this time? I'm gonna shoot some pigs. Targets, a movie about a war inside a man's head. I, for some reason, thought that this was going to be Theater of Blood. I was convinced it was either Theater of Blood or, even more likely, Madhouse, both Vincent Price films. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then someone near us whispered, like, oh, what if it's Targets? I had never seen Targets. Me neither. But the more that, like, people started talking about it, I was like, oh, that's Yeah, it's gotta be. Well, it also, it says... I think if it was Theater of Blood or Madhouse, it would have said gothic horror and not suspense thriller. And also not still timely, you know? I I, I think that what makes... So Targets is a film from 1968 from director Peter Bogdanovich that... What do you mean, boo? (laughs) Oh, get over yourself, you fucking snob. (laughs) So, (laughs) I'm sorry, I'm just kidding. You're not a snob. Don't look at me like that. Uh, Just kidding, you are. It's... A really interesting movie. I had never seen it before. I was really kind of taken aback by it. And it felt like it was two movies stacked on top of each other. Uh, One movie is where an aging horror icon played by Boris Karloff, he, he desperately wants to retire. And he recognizes that like what once was scary is now camp. And that real scary stuff is happening in the newspapers and there's like kind of like a hint at the like clock tower Austin shooter guy in the newspaper and he's kind of just like going through the motions of trying to retire and he's having this like you know Hollywood experience and the other movie that's going on at the same time is about this young man who is feeling uh very murdery and he's buying tons of guns and ammo and just like being fucking weird and doing the things that we associate as just like very modern male on the edge. Yeah, it's sort of the way he behaves is like somebody who's miserable and depressed and doesn't know it and is just like trying to do anything to distract from the brain fever. Yeah, and it seems like all that like really gets him to feel anything is his guns and when he aims his guns at people like from a distance he's like got a sniper rifle and stuff and he eventually goes on this like shooting spree and it keeps going back and forth between this like very serious like new hollywood taxi driver killer psycho guy on the edge movie with this like really fun movie about boris karloff trying to quit and Peter Bogdanovich, who stars in the co-stars in the film as a writer slash director, like he's not supposed to be himself. Yeah, 
and he's supposed to be sort of a Roger Corman type figure, I think. Yeah, yeah, but, but the, the the meta aspect of it, no, I think he's less Roger Corman, and he's more like a young Marty Scorsese type, like, okay, like because he keeps saying to, uh, which is the meta aspect of the film, he keeps saying to Karloff's character, "Listen, this script that I wrote for you is different. It's not like anything else." And what makes that meta is that the movie targets is that it is yeah. this movie that's not like anything else that Karloff has ever been in or that Bogdanovich has done. Yeah. It's this very different, very interesting and honestly an incredible way to start the marathon because it's like, it's a serious movie, but it's also funny and, uh, and, and it has this like grand finale at a, at a drive-in theater, which almost every single person who was at the, uh, the 24 hour marathon has been going to exhume screenings at the local drive-in. So it's just like, it was a great opener and it was so different. And I really loved it. It's kind of in the running for my favorite movie of the day. Mine as well, I think, because I'm not a big Bogdanovich fan. I'm not a new Hollywood fan in general, but I kept hearing over the years that I would love Targets. And so I'd been hoping that I could catch it at a screening in a theater rather than just watching it at home. And I'm so, so glad I waited because I absolutely loved it. Yeah. Like, I thought it was great. I thought Bogdanovich was great Yeah, in he it. was a really good actor. He, I, I yeah. didn't know that that was Peter Bogdanovich. I'd never seen him before. Well, he hasn't put his ascot on yet, so that's probably why you didn't recognize <laughs> and him. I, and I was thinking, like, who is this kid? He's fucking good. Like, he's, And he and Karloff are so good together. I know. There's, like, so many little scenes where they're, like... Like drinking together and like commiserating—is that the right word? Yeah. And like they both like pass out in bed together, yeah, they and get it's just hammered. And it's just like <laughs> it's really nice stuff. And then they juxtapose it with this like school shooter, mass shooter, spree shooter, killer energy movie. What's so weird is that it works. It doesn't feel disjointed. Not it doesn't. At all. It doesn't feel like weird tonal shifts that keep yakking you around. It's just it works, and it's. It's good. Yeah, it was a really great unexpected opener. And in the spring, Exhumed does exploitation marathons called X-Fest. And they're much shorter. They're 12 hours. But in the first couple of years of Horrorthon, they would do more of a mix of horror and exploitation movies. Yeah. And this Horrorthon reminded me of that yeah. more than I, any in recent years. I got and a feeling part that... Part of that is because of Target. Yeah. And I think we're going to get more into that feeling... Sure. A, ...a little later. But but Target's, it's not like a straightforward horror movie. No, it's it it's not. But it also feels like a good opener because it, it it's about making horror movies in a way. And, and about watching horror about, movies. Yeah. Yes, and about what real horror is. And what happens when real horror intrudes. Yeah, and, and gosh, to be in an audience of people that just start cheering at the very end when Karloff fucking socks the sniper in the face. It's just the day, yeah. I, I mean, what a fun feeling that was. What turns an all-American boy into an all-American killer? All right, all right. Let's move on to movie number two. So this was a 15-movie marathon, and movie number two was an underseen, atmospheric murder mystery from the golden age of horror cinema. So my absolute favorite thing about this new iteration of Horrorthon, and what I mean by that, before 2020, they used to be in Philly. They took a break for the first year of the pandemic, and since then they've been in Phoenixville. 
But with the 2021 on horrorthons, they've started to incorporate more movies from the 30s and 40s, which they had never really done before. And movie number two, which is Jacques Tourneau's The Leopard Man from 1943, is one of my absolute favorites. And I was so, so glad that they screened a Val Luton film. Well, what sort of man would kill like a leopard and leave the traces of a leopard? Crazy guy. But he'd have to know about leopards. Have access to leopard claws and hair. It's now become a new tradition that movie number two is like a classic Hollywood or, or just like an old classy black and white movie from the 30s or 40s. And I think it's a great time to do it because the audience is still like fully engaged and they're awake and paying attention. Yes. And a lot of times horror fans, especially like, you know, like gore hound horror, like people like fucking me, they disregard a lot of the older stuff that isn't, you know, Dracula or Frankenstein because they're, black and white and they're paced differently and the sound is like tinnier and it's just like it's harder to when you know you're not going to get some like titillating exciting bloody ridiculous horror movie you just kind of disregard them which is what i've done for a very long time and i have in recent years seen the error of my ways but i still think that at movie number two everyone is like open-minded and they're ready you know they haven't been defeated by you know hours and hours of being awake yes in the dark in, in the yeah. same position <laughs> so this was a perfect time to watch this movie and it's like kind of sleazy I, I mean i was kind of yeah. shocked by how you know lurid some of it was yeah this is one of those movies so i definitely did hear some audience complaints about this one because i do think there still isn't the audience for this kind of more serious downbeat classic car. And in a way I sort of wish that this had been played at like 9am or something, but I absolutely love this film. I think it is a little bit confusing for people to understand that when we talk about Val Luton, who was a producer who worked for RKO, who made some of the only serious horror films during World War II, because in general, the studios were encouraged to make kind of more lighthearted escapism because people thought, you know, there's already too much misery. Let's not scare the hell out of people. And Val Luton was like, well, fuck that. And he's got movies about yeah. like marital breakdown with cat people. And I walked with a zombie and issues of like classism and racism and fear of foreigners. And the leopard man is set maybe in Mexico, maybe in the Southwest. It's very vague about where it is, but there's clearly a large South American population and it's all about the serial killer. But the thing that I think is so amazing about it is it really focuses on the victims. Like it doesn't yeah. give the killer too much attention compared to like modern serial killers. Yeah, that was movies. one of the kind of like shocked me is that the movie kept doing this thing where it would introduce a character or you would follow a character and it would get you to either like them or sympathize with them in some way. And then it would fucking tear him apart by the leopard man, you know? Or, and it's, it's pretty sleazy. And, and then, like, you're like, oh, damn, they're dead. That's fucked up. And then, like, there's a new character you're following. And then the leopard man fucking tears them to pieces. And it's just like, whoa, come on. And I, I really liked it. I thought it was 
kind of a simple story yeah. that was done in a way that like... A lot of it is also about the effects of human cruelty. I mean, the first death, it's this like terrified 14 or 15 year old girl whose very callous mother and brother make her go out in the middle of the night for cornmeal. Oh, and I hated she, that. She literally gets killed up against the, the doorstep door of her own house. Yeah, and she's like banging making, on the... Yeah, and ugh. they're making fun of her and they won't let her in until they hear her screams and see her blood pooling into the uh, house. It was brutal. Yeah. Like, such a brutal death. Mamacita, let me in. Let me in now that I've spent half the night getting the cornmeal. It's coming. It's coming closer. I can see it. Just what she needs, someone to nip at her heels and hurry her up. Ah! <laughs> Wait, Teresa. I come. I will let you in. Only a moment, Teresa. Your mother is here. Your mother will let you in. Yeah, it's rough stuff for an early 40s movie. I, I I agree. I agree. But I also think that, you know, after such a serious movie, oh, yeah. we you got to change the tone. Yeah. You got to fucking have some fun here. It's the horror And movie number three, oh my God. honestly, every single year, movie number three is when the horror really, really starts well, for and me. And it's usually a kaiju movie. So it's, yes, they, they have played played with it in the past. But but like 90% of the time. Yes. So the clue for movie number three was fun giant monster movie slash comedy favorite. I was really flummoxed by this one because fun giant monster movie, I thought like maybe it's one of the later Godzilla movies and we're going to my favorite baby island. No, but then I saw slash comedy yeah. favorite and I was like, what the hell? No is Godzilla this? movie can be called a comedy no matter how hard you laugh while watching it. Son of Godzilla? I mean... <laughs> <laughs> Which he's played before. Yeah. And and this one, for, for me, I was just like totally drawing a blank. The guess I think I put was Queen Kong. Yeah, which, you did. Which is definitely a giant monster comedy movie, but it's not a favorite by any means. Uh, the movie that wound up playing so obvious when you hear the title. Cocktail. There's nothing new under the sun. We plan ahead. That way we don't do anything right now. But under the ground, there's something no one's ever seen before. What the hell are they? It's big. It's mean. It's ugly. Thanks, too. And worst of all, it's hungry. Makes my skin crawl. Kevin Bacon. Tremors. Starts Friday, January 19th at theaters everywhere. Consult your local listings. Is Tremors from 1990 from director Rob Underwood. That's Rob Underwood. Rob or Ron? Rob, uh, Ron Underwood. I don't know. This name sounds like the alias a hobbit would give to the innkeeper at the Prancing Pony while trying to hide from the Nazgul. Ron. Ron Underwood. Okay. Mr. Underhill. <laughs> but, All oh, right. my God, this, yeah. this might Let's be my go. favorite movie of the day. Yeah, this was awesome. I mean, Tremors was a huge movie for me when I was a kid because, yeah, me I mean, th the main reason is is because, I mean, it's a giant monster movie. It's got blood, guns, babes, and, like, one-liners, and... It's wonderful. It's rated PG-13, so I could rent it. All the fucking time. I can go buck wild renting this movie. And I did. I rented it all the time until 
Tremors 2 came out. <laughs> and after Tremors 2 came out, I was like, yo, fuck Tremors. Tremors sucks. Tremors 2 is the best movie of all time. And That's so, adorable. I love your kid rental stories when you're just like, I, I feel like you do a really good job at making me remember how your kid brain is like so convinced of certain absolute truths. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they are, they're like these like weird rules that are like like understood. Yes. And like after Tremors two, I was like, yeah, I'm never watching Tremors again. The movie's stupid. It's got that Kevin Bacon guy in it. I hate Kevin Bacon now. Oh my God. Well, okay. So, all right. Tremors. I hadn't seen Tremors since I was a kid. Me neither. So I don't, I know I rented it maybe once or twice, but it was on TV all yeah. the time yeah. when when I was probably eight or nine. So I saw it a lot, but I hadn't seen it since I was a kid. And I forgot how amazing it is. And also, I forgot Victor Wong was there. I forgot Reba McIntyre was there. I forgot there are like doomsday preppers who are positive characters. And I forgot that Fred Ward is just the best ever. Yeah. I mean, Reba McIntyre, like, showing up in this movie. I mean, she's great. I mean, she's the one that does that song. Um, I, I want to soak up the sun. Oh, my God. Stop it. I that's want... Cheryl Crow. Oh, yeah. No, no. Reba McIntyre, she does the one that's like, man, I feel like a woman. That's Shania. Shania Twain. Okay. Well. Okay. So, Reba, I, I don't know if Reba still has a big career, but. She was one of those sort of Bonnie Raitt type people in the 80s who kind of merged pop and country, and then she had her own TV show. Totally, totally zero memory of her, like, shooting people with a shotgun and tremors, but she's so good in it. she's awesome. Yeah, and and Fred Ward, let's fucking give it up for Fred Ward. Everyone talks about Kevin Bacon. Fred Ward is so much hotter than Kevin Bacon. Yo, he is. He's got swagger. He's just cool. He's charming. Yeah, in this, like, rugged, kind of, like, dumb guy way. Yeah, he is. And, like, thing is with Kevin Bacon is Kevin Bacon is one of those guys who it's like when you stare at him, you're you're basically looking at a skeleton you know it's 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 a skeleton with a very thin layer of skin on it he basically which which works for hollow man yeah he's the hollow man (laughs) kevin bacon is the hollow man uh (laughs) and but i mean he he's also great in this movie i mean i'm I'm talking shit but i mean yeah they're it's such a fun movie that has this like great vibe that it's just so fun you know all like the character archetypes like you get them immediately and you're just like with it I also forgot about the fact that the little girl from Jurassic Park is in it, and there's probably the best use of a pogo stick in a horror oh, movie. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> hell yeah. I bet one of our listeners is going to be like, oh, uh, you Actually, forgot. There's another pogo stick. Oh, my scene. God. I hope there's a movie where somebody gets like their head bounced in with a pogo stick, and I just don't know about oh, it. Oh, there absolutely is. I'm imagining it right now. It's probably a trauma movie. Probably. All right. Get it's in the right, comments. Right in. Right in. Tell, in. Us. Tell us what the fucking pogo stick head exploding movie but is. But also Victor Wong. Victor Wong. Okay. I went out to take a leak. Uh, that like turned into like a brief conversation that turned into some drugs. came back and Victor Wong was gone. Yeah, how did he die? I, I missed I missed that. So Victor Wong, if you haven't seen Tremors recently, he owns the general store in town and he's like trying to improve it by buying this. I think it's a Pepsi machine. It's a, it's a so it's like one of those long coffin like soda machines. Okay, that has its own generator built in and it's plugged into the wall. 
And just as they figure out that the tremor monster graboids, uh, the, graboids. the graboids, not Shai Halud, that no. the graboids. Are, <laughs> once they find out that the graboids are attracted to vibration, they're like, "Okay, so we're fine if we just stay in the store and don't move too much." And then the soda machine generator kicks on, and it's up against the wall, so they have to move it to unplug it, and he gets basically bitten in half by a worm monster a graboid a graboid r.i.p yeah. to a real one i feel like they couldn't say sandworms because you had david lynch's dune and tim burton's beetlejuice like a couple of years before and it's like sandworm city sandworms were huge then everyone sandworms are cool as hell yeah. they should still be huge i know oh man everyone loves sandworms i mean i guess i i'm saying that now when we have another dune movie coming out in yeah. a few months so i'll get my sandworms okay okay um i got a quick uh quick question uh how many Tremors movies are there, Sam? I've only seen the first one. My guess is that there are four. Four. Three? Three. I really have no idea. There are six Tremors what? movies. Okay, in the third one, I think they start flying. What? Uh, in the fourth one, uh, I, I don't know what happens. But uh, they, they get CGI-ified by four, I think. And then... Uh, All I can hear in my head right now because of the COVID is, man, I feel like a sandworm. <laughs> <laughs> wow, there are really six of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of them is like a back in time one where they're like they in the 1800s. Space? I don't think so. I don't Damn think it. they don't. Oh, yeah. They do have sand in space. Yeah. I don't I don't know. I don't know how you're going to do that. Tremors in space. I don't know, but I just got really excited about the thought of sandworms in space. Yeah, there you go. There you go. <laughs> Sandworms. You hate them, right? <laughs> I hate them myself. All right, all right. Number four, moving right along. This Drum one. Roll. Yeah, they're, they're changing the tones again, and this is a stunning, intelligent horror remake that is nearly as good as the legendary original. Now, there were two movies that this could be. Movie one, which is the one that I guessed incorrectly, like a fucking idiot, was Cat People. Which uh, that the Paul would have Schrader been a movie. Cool, okay, so that would have been actually a guess that uh, that was something I was excited about the possibility for because I've never seen the Cat People remake and Me I've neither. just been waiting yeah. for a screening. But the other movie that it could have been even better, I mean, maybe, I haven't seen Cat People, is Nosferatu the Vampire from 1979, directed by Werner Herzog. What about Yes Feratu? Because that's how I felt about the movie. <laughs> Christ. All Look, right. I have COVID. Okay, right. I, I have to say, I've seen this movie many times over the years, and it is a perfect film. Like, the use of Wagner when he's wandering through the wilderness by himself trying to get to Orlok's castle, it's like some of the best stuff put on yeah. film. Yeah, I absolutely love this movie. I think it's it's terrifying and it's funny and it's just like weird it's, it's so weird uh and, and and one of the things one of like my earliest memories is so what happened is my my friend said something that I'll, I'll never forget growing up when we were teenagers and he had just watched the movie and and it it terrified him yeah it's scary i mean he smoked weed beforehand he put the nosferatu dvd in and just got like sucked into it there's this scene in the movie that lasts for maybe 30 seconds but the way he told it to me made it seem like it was like three minutes long 
and it's just of the sky and the clouds. And he said that he could see like wolves and devils in the shape of the clouds. That's what Herzog would want. And like, and like, I could tell you, we started like laughing about it, but I could tell like he was actually like legit shook up by the movie. So when I watched it right afterwards, I didn't think it was as scary because I was like kind of like ready to be terrified. And I mean, I still really liked it, but I also, I watched it in, uh, Herzog, he's a fucking... Was the movie shot in Italian or something? I don't Uh, know. Nosferatu, it was shot in English, I think, because I don't think Adjani speaks German. Yeah, I'm not too sure, but I feel like when I watched it before, I watched it with subtitles, and it was, like, in a different language, which is kind of weird. I think maybe I just selected that because I figured that was the correct way to watch it when I was like, you know, a little film boy, 5,000 in my early 20s. When when you're like trying to watch it and when you're trying to figure out what the original language might be. It it was, I mean, this was the best. I mean, I've always loved it, but like this time it was like, oh shit, this is like one of the greats. And all the stuff that's, because I love Nosferatu. I I do agree with the, the hint that says it's, nearly as good as the original. I, I would think agree with that. The original is... The r- original is unfuckwithable. It's like one of the greatest silent films of all time. I mean, Murnau in general it, is one of the greatest... Like, the German expressionists are some of the still greatest yeah. cinema artists. But what, what this does to expand the story is just so natural. And it's so like... Oh, of course. Like all the stuff with the rats and the plague. And the doctor. Yes. And and his like, he he basically gaslights this woman and makes her feel like an idiot because what she's saying doesn't chalk up with the scientific beliefs that he is so inflexible about. Yeah. And the movie is really explicit about like this woman following her intuition is the only one who can make any difference. Yeah. But even she's, Oh my gosh. And and there's that one scene earlier on when, um, uh, Harker first sees or first meets Bruno Gantz is he first meets Nosferatu or he first meets Dracula as they call him in the film. Do they call him Dracula throughout the film? Yes. That's he's count Dracula in the movie. That's what they keep referring to him as. It's interesting. But anyway, um, which is not like the original. No, but they're they're sitting at the dinner table, and he he cuts himself with the bread knife, and you know Nosferatu, played by Klaus Kinski, sees the the bloodied finger, and he like gets close to him, and he's like moving up to him, and he says, "The knife is old and could be dirty. It could give you blood poisoning. Please." Let me do it. It's the oldest remedy in the world. Oh, forget it. It's hardly worth mentioning. Just a little cut. You you know, it's only for the best. And he just starts sucking on his finger. And it's like... It's kind of like a funny image in a way, but it's just so creepy and it's like kind of, it, it's scary. It, I mean, the way they like marry these like ridiculous images with just like 
terror it's, is it's pure terror poetry yeah also some the the music and the sound design is so incredible i know the, the use of wagner it was destroying me because i couldn't figure out if it was tristan and isolde but i think it's something from the ring cycle there's also this moment towards the end where you get this popol vuh music of monks chanting it's it's all it's just like it all goes together so perfectly and it really is one of the most beautiful 70s films it is it is you know let's let's pour one out for herzog over here he's a fucking absolute he he was just here last week yeah yeah i saw pictures of him he was here he did a a free reading and signing the same time that i went to see catherine brayat you ever see the video of him getting shot while while doing an interview it's one of the craziest things i've ever seen he calls it an insignificant bullet yeah and the interviewer is like shitting himself and herzog is like it's totally fine it's just a bb like he can shoot at me all he wants like is he, what's he going to do, kill me? Oh, my God. Have you heard the story about him pulling, I want to say it's like Christian Slater or something, out of a burning car? Yeah. Or I don't know if it's, I, don't, I forget who it was, but yeah, yeah. It's like another actor. Yeah. Oh, it's Joaquin Phoenix. Joaquin Phoenix is who it was. He was like, got into a car accident and was in such a daze, he started to light a cigarette while still upside down in his car not realizing that the car is leaking gas. And he said that Werner Herzog just, I guess, was driving behind him and came out of nowhere and, like, pulled him out of the car and, like, dragged him half a mile away and was like, you almost blew yourself up, you yeah. idiot. And, <laughs> and anyone who has not seen My Best Fiend, oh which my is God. a documentary about his working relationship with Klaus Kinski, wow, holy fucking shit. It's it's even better than the video of him eating a shoe. I mean, also... Werner Herzog ate a shoe. He He's done it all. It's a land that God, if he exists, has has created in anger. It's the only land where, where creation is unfinished yet. Taking a close look at, at what's around us, there, there is some sort of a harmony. It is the harmony of overwhelming and collective murder. And we, in comparison to the articulate vileness and baseness and obscenity of all this jungle, we, in comparison to that enormous articulation, we only sound and look like badly pronounced and half-finished sentences out of a stupid suburban novel, a cheap novel. And we have to become humble in front of this overwhelming misery and overwhelming fornication, overwhelming growth and overwhelming lack of order. Even the the stars up here in in the sky look like a mess. There is no harmony in the universe. We have to get acquainted to this idea that there is no real harmony as we have conceived it. But when I say this, I say this all full of admiration for the jungle. It is not that I hate it. I love it. I love it very much. But I love it against my better judgment. Every time I watch this, I think about a different person's performance. And while I think Ajani gives the best performance because she has the most to do, 
Klaus Kinski is like, he's like weirdly whimsical. Yeah. The way he like dances through the town square. Yeah. It like part of me wants. So I still, we, we both still need to watch Nosferatu in Venice. And I think there's more of him doing that in that movie. Oh, yeah. That's the, the sequel, right? The, like, loose sequel that's I, not directed by Herzog. I absolutely I want to see that. I didn't know it existed until you mentioned it the other day. All right. I, oh, I got yeah. one, one question before we move along. Or how do I phrase this? All right. Who played Nosferatu the best? Don Nosferatu. All right. <laughs> Fucking. Uh, it's clearly Max Shrek. I'm sorry to Klaus Kinski, but Max Shrek looks the most alien and I think the way that Kinski differentiates himself is great, but Max Shrek is the scariest. I mean, Shrek, yes. it means terror in German. And, and the one thing is, is when you see Kinski, like, you're like, okay, that's my guy playing a part here. You know, it's like, he's doing a really good job. He's, you know, it's scary. He's being scary. This is great. Max Shrek is he's not your guy he's no, he's, he's just it's like they it, he, he is nosferatu yeah it, it's like a Graf real thing Orlock is i think what his character's name is so i would just to be just to have fun i think my favorite portrayal of nosferatu is from willem dafoe in shadow of the vampire have you seen that movie i have willem dafoe I, so i don't know if i love the movie i think it's great but i Thought it was enjoyable, and I thought Willem Dafoe was amazing. But I think the big difference there is he's a full-fledged character. Yeah. Although, also, speaking of... I don't know if you... Have you seen uh, What We Do in the Shadows? Uh, the, I've seen the, the movie. movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whoever plays the oh, Nosferatu he... in that movie is so... Peter, yeah. <laughs> he's, he's my favorite character. Yeah. All right, all right. Nosferatu, we fucking love it. We do. All right, movie number five. The hint they gave us was somewhat forgotten supernatural shocker that is an adaptation of a best-selling novel. What did you think this was going to be? Because um, I was convinced. Okay, what did I put in? Oh, oh, I put in um The Sentinel. Is The Sentinel a novel? Yeah, I got I mean, I think so. I have the novel in, in the other room, but it maybe it's the novelization of the I, movie. I, I think it's a novel. I get confused yeah. about which came first because that novelization trend was so popular. My guess was The Haunting of Julia, which I think is by the same author as what the movie actually was. But Haunting of Julia is this Mia Farrow dead kid ghost story. Hey. Shut that cat up. Come here. But what we got yeah. was Ghost Story directed by John Irvin from 1981, which I think is Peter Straub. Yeah, Peter Straub. The house is so empty, the town is so still, the truth never buried has come back to kill. The cold wind shrieks, the full moon's pale, the time has come to tell the tale. Fred Astaire, Melvin Douglas, Douglas Fairbanks Jr., John Houseman, Ghost Story, based on Peter Straub's terrifying bestseller, Rated R. Now playing at a theater near you. This is 100% in the running for my favorite movie of the day. It's, you know, well, definitely my favorite. It's, it's definitely, it's, get this fucking cat out of here. It's definitely my favorite discovery of the day, or maybe that's Target's. I don't know. I mean, moral of the story, I loved this movie. I mean, sure, it's a bit 
overly ambitious and kind of messy, but, you know, goddamn, it's taken big swings at being a horror saga, you know, spanning decades, alternate realities, dreams, everything. I mean, it's bold and, and clearly had a huge influence on Stephen King's It. I'm sorry, but you haven't mentioned Craig Wasson's dick yet. Oh, my God. Yo. This Yo. movie was so much hornier than I... So, yeah. okay. I knew about this movie because I had seen clips of it on TV when I was a kid. And I just... All I saw was like old men sitting around telling each other stories. So that was all I knew. No idea that it was so horny. Yeah, horny and like uh, properly tense and scary at times. And... Great atmosphere, yeah. really beautiful. Alice Krieger is somebody who I think is really, really underrated, and she's amazing in it. She's like the main lady. So someone once described the plot of the book to me and told me there was a movie based on it, and I just like kind of forgot all about it. Like, okay, I'm going to read that book someday, and then I'll watch the movie, and just like, you know, that never really materialized. And then when this came on, I'm like, what is this? And it, it, it at times felt very familiar because it's a very kind of classic story, but it's told in this just like huge and sprawling way. Very roundabout, circular kind of. Yeah. Like, it takes you probably half of the movie to realize that things are all connected to each yes. other, like, I, I, which is really cool. It is really cool because I thought it was kind of like, oh, it's going to be a disjointed Anthology sort of. kind of. Yeah. But then it when it hits you like, oh, that's what they're doing here. It's all this big story. And it's all true. It's so good. And it does lots of like classic horror movie like scares where it's like, and now there's a skeleton here and it's melting. And, you know, and this lady that you're hanging out with who has really beautiful long hair is turned away from you. And now when she turns back, she's decaying. Yeah. yeah. Uh, great stuff. I, I absolutely loved Ghost Story. I mean, I, Me have, a fe- I have a feeling that. If if someone had like told me how great this movie was, like I'm doing right now, and then I then watched it, it wouldn't live up to your expectations. No, but in the middle of the horrorthon, as just this like movie I'd never seen before, that's now playing, and it was like watching something new for the first time in this like perfect setting on the best day of the year. Ah, yeah, you, you love it, and I can I can totally see why Stephen King and Peter like while while they were like good friends with each other they collaborated on a bunch of books together yeah i like, think Peter i get it straub is maybe my preferred author yeah I, I i could see that i mean like i feel like this to me felt like it felt like a stephen king story except it didn't have any of that like crude redneck shit you know what i mean like and i'm not saying that as a slight like i i love the like very crude realness of stephen king's characters but you know, it feels me, like it, it feels like he's trying too hard a lot of the time and it gets it it feels kind of cringy to me. Yeah. I mean, this to me felt like a Rhode Island ghost story where Stephen King does a Maine ghost story, you know? <laughs> yes. Good good times though. I mean, like this is like we're we're fucking cooking here. We're at the horror thon, you know, and we're watching a genuine horror movie that you know neither of us had seen before and this is like this is what gets us there every year because there's there's always something we've never seen or heard of that just like hits us and it's so good it's it's also great when like the thing that you haven't seen is 
sort of a surprise big budget Hollywood movie. Yeah, and it's totally. not just some like unheard of Milligan bargain basement thing. Yeah, it's like it has pretty good production values. Yeah, it's it, a really beautiful film. It is. It. Yeah. I would say if you're somebody who hasn't seen Ghost Story, like don't think it's going to be the best movie in the world. It's messy. But if you really like the Changeling, I think it has similar vibes. Certainly no George C. Scott, which he should be in every movie. Yeah. But great movie. All right, all right. Let's uh let's shift to change gears a hundred percent. Holy completely. shit. So Sam was saying earlier how some people were kind of complaining that uh that Targets wasn't exactly a horror movie, you know? Uh and those people were were definitely in full force complaining after number six. The clue we got was provocative, completely fucking bonkers, indie exploitation slash social satire slash sort of horror movie with a stacked cast of genre stalwarts. You may love it or hate it, but you've probably never seen anything like it before. That's a mouthful, and you need a mouthful to describe. It's the longest clue. Number six, which is Sunny Boy, a film from 1989 by director Robert Martin Carroll. I'm looking for a place. The dogs don't bite, the children don't cry, and everything always... Sonny Boy, for sure, is the most divisive movie of the day. I heard people bitching, it's not a horror movie. And then someone else would say, this would make more sense at X-Fest, but not the horror-thon. Yada, 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 wah, wah, wah. It, it is definitely more of an X-Fest But, movie. I mean, here's the thing, you primitive screwheads. Uh, back in the day, before there was an X-Fest, the Exhumed Films boys would always throw in, like, one oddball non-horror movie into the lineup. They played Shaw Brothers Kung Fu. They played this after-school special about a teenage pregnancy. Oh, my God, that was traumatizing. Complete with the birthing scene. (laughs) I mean, they played an Alice Cooper concert film. People were so mad about that. Yeah, fucking get mad. (laughs) And, 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 I mean, they played the goddamn Phantom of the Paradise, which is 100% a rock opera, not a horror movie. I mean, having some total curveball come at you it's exciting. It's beautiful. You know, I mean, while these amazing actors are like, I mean, okay, Sonny Boy has a stacked cast. And I got to say, it's not my particular brand of psychotronic tea, but I was just so happy to watch all of those just amazing heavyweight actors do their thing in one of the weirdest movies I've ever seen. You know, I didn't particularly like it, but I mean, I was very happy to have it wash over me. So I have to admit, because one, if you if you haven't had COVID or you haven't had like a bad flu, often one of the weird symptoms is you have crazy nightmares and yeah, fever dreams. Yes, definitely fever dreams is a better description than flat out nightmares because they're not always scary. But I've been dreaming about Brad Dorif all week, yeah. and I am not mad about it. He is so crazy. <laughs> In this movie? Yeah, Brad Dorf is truly a national treasure. He is is mm. one of the greatest of all time. I'm so glad that he has like the Child's Play series to like keep the lights on and keep him paid. He's in the TV show now. Uh, he I is... still need to see... The... So I've only seen Bride of Chucky. You have your mother's eyes and they were always too fucking close together! <laughs> oh, you gotta be 
fucking kidding me? Oh, you gotta watch them all, babe. Child's I, Play three. Child's Play three. I was talking about it earlier. Wait, so Bride of Chucky is four? That's four. Okay, yeah, I gotta rectify the situation. Yeah, they're but, great. So the thing about Sunny Boy, we didn't really describe the plot, but it's it's basically like these gangsters in the desert who seem like they came straight out of wild at heart adopt a baby on accident and the woman adopts they the, kidnap the baby well but yes it was an accident they were trying to steal a car they didn't realize there was a baby they killed the parents they steal the car surprise there's this is like literally the first three minutes of the film so i'm not spoiling anything but the woman of the group pearl played totally straight face by david carradine in an amazing performance insists that they're keeping this baby but the baby is raised in absolute horror, so he's this kind of like Frankenstein monster. Yeah, man. chained up the whole time. Like it, it reminded me, like you saying that this isn't exactly your psychotronic cup of tea. It reminded me a lot of something like Bad Boy Bubby. Oh, the Australian movie. Or, or Ruben and Ed, which also set in... The, they're basically all kind of desert movies yeah. about these like weirdo baby men. Yeah. Th- this and has I, this I like... I don't know if I love them either, but it was great to watch. Yeah. No, that that's how I, I felt about it was that it's it has that like weird vibe that like kind of post repo man like eh, fuck you psycho billy rock like weirdo like kind of like lynchy weird stuff going on yeah wild at heart is a good one like it is all like the weird psycho characters in the like background Bobby of peru you could imagine being in Sunny yes Boy. yeah all of the weird background characters in wild at heart are just like having their own movie yep. and paul smith oh my god is paul smith the the guy from pieces yes yeah yeah seeing him show up was nice he's one of the main characters yeah but a moment, like, moment he what? came on screen i was like oh hell yeah my boy and some people loved it for sure. Like afterwards, we were talking to people who were like, oh man, that was my favorite of the day. And other people who were just like, what the fuck was that? You know, it's and I. crazy. Yeah. And that's kind of one of the things that you get at this sort of event. You know, you don't know what you're going to get and what you're going to get is going to be fucking weird. Yeah. And I, I am glad that we got something weird at not quite the halfway point. I think movie number seven is really the halfway, but. It, it felt like an appropriate palate cleanser. Yeah. So like you said, it really reminded me of Bad Boy Bubby. And another movie it reminded me of, because it's like, it's so hard to like think of like, what do you compare this movie to? Because it is very singular. And the only movies I can really con- kind of think to compare it to are like very off the wall movies that most people haven't seen. Yeah. Like Ruben and Ed, I know not a lot of people I, have seen, I've but never if seen you it. have, it is a lot like Ruben and Ed, except... Instead of being quirky, it's way more violent. And and what I was gonna say is the is it reminds me of this film that I I absolutely love. It's one of my favorite movies. It's called uh, Sheila and the Brainstem. Oh, I still need to see it. It's it's only on YouTube. You can't find it anywhere. Like the director like has his own YouTube page, and he uploaded like a longer version and a shorter version. The shorter version's better. And. I love it. It's like a weird southwestern psychotronic odyssey movie, and this just kind of reminded me of it. I don't know why. They're very different, but like, I don't know. Movies are weird. Sounds like our kind of place. Sheila and the Brainstem. The quest for a 24-hour utopia, taking six people to their deepest dream and their darkest fear. 
Join them on their search for love, truth, and... The best part of America. Only better. What appears to be an innocent stick of beef jerky will change their lives forever. They've got the brains, Tim. You have a choice, you know. Do you want to live forever? Or do you want to stay alive? Yeah, I don't know if I recommend Sunny Boy. Oh, I do. It's just, it's such a fucking wacko. I mean, it's it's, it's the kind of movie where, like, you can only really recommend it to a specific kind of weirdo. Yeah, you know? if you like totally bizarro exploitation movies. This is it. Yeah, go for it. All right, all right. Getting back to the horror with a real horror movie. Wah, wah, wah. And another total change of pace. All right, movie number seven was a fiendish favorite from the 70s that took inspiration from earlier blockbusters but is still a classic in its own right. Now, I know I keep saying this. uh, This is my favorite movie of the day. This one is actually my favorite movie of the day. Really? Absolutely. fucking That's crazy. For generations, the Thorns have been a family of tremendous wealth, position, and power. The perfect marriage of Ambassador Robert Thorne and his wife, Catherine, was fulfilled by the birth of their son, Damien. And then, when the child was five years old, something terrible happened. And then, it happened again. Was it an accident? Was it murder? Was it a coincidence, or was it an omen? Look at me, Damien. It's all for you. 20th Century Fox presents a film of psychological suspense about an occurrence of earth-shaking importance. Gregory Peck, Lee Remick, The Omen. So growing up, I, I hated The Omen and the reason was is because when i was a kid i saw the exorcist and i was like holy shit like it terrified me like truly like kept i couldn't sleep that night like like kind of fucked me up terrified me and then i think someone like maybe my mom or dad said like oh well now you got to watch the omen and i was like scared i'm like oh fuck i'm not ready you know like i just I can't like, believe nobody told you oh now you got to watch exorcist 2 no no one everyone said don't <laughs> don't watch that shit uh, and and so I, I shortly after watching The Exorcist, I'm like, okay, I'm ready now. I'm gonna watch The Omen, and I watched it, and I'm like, this is like a dumb slasher movie, or I don't the fuck like this is stupid. Like it wasn't scary. It was like I don't know. I, I I didn't like it at all. And I watched it again like five or six years later, and it still is like, yeah, okay, yeah, I don't like The Omen. Fuck The Omen. And I've been thinking, literally like recent months and weeks, like, oh man, I gotta rewatch The Omen. Cause I I got a feeling I'm I'm in a different brain, and I'm gonna love it. Like I'm not watching it as The Exorcist, you know. I'm watching it as this like you know kind of like trashy horror movie with like big set piece kill scenes. And I'm like, okay, I'm just gonna watch that with some vibes. I'm gonna vibe out with some devilry. Oh man, I loved it. I loved it. I had devil horns up in my hands the whole time watching it. It was so fun, cool. And Doctor Who shows up. The second doctor shows up. And gets impaled. Yeah, he doesn't have a good time at all. No, so somebody that we were sitting near 
was saying afterwards that it reminded them of kind of like a proto final destination and yeah in a way i like i don't really think the comparisons to the exorcist are all that fair it's no. like it's satanic horror and yes it involves a parent child relationship in which the parent is basically a single parent and they're a famous person they're not like which an is average suburban mom or dad which is the exorcist as well she was a famous sure But other than that, it's like, it's not, the kid is really not on screen that much. It's like the whole thing is about how these people are destined to die, basically. Yeah. Yeah. I I loved it. I I mean, later on that night, like I think during movie 12, I stepped outside for some uh, fresh air and I was, I was talking to Bill Ackerman. He came up fucking fresh as a daisy. Yeah, he went home and went to sleep like a smart Oh, person. my God. He came back skipping at like four in the morning, <laughs> you know, and I caught him on his way in. And we talked about the, the omen for a minute. And and he said something that just like really, really like struck me and, and like stayed with me. He mentioned our so our recent our last episode on slasher movies. Bill shows up halfway through He's our surprise guest, our surprise guest. He just popped in the door like the Kool-Aid man. Yeah, he did. <laughs> and part of our conversation, we were talking about the origin of the creative kill trope in slasher movies. And we all kind of agreed at the time that that must have happened with like Friday the 13th. And he sort of said like, no, Maybe the, omen. It's the omen. No one ever talks about the omen because yeah. each kill scene is like huge spectacle insane stuff you know and it's what's remembered most about the movie is like you know it's all for you damien it's all for you damien and like and all these like huge moments scene is wild it's crazy but i think all the death scenes are i mean the impalement with the sheet of glass well no 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 it was impalement with or i'm sorry decapitation with the sheet of glass and impalement with the spire the thing is though is when you say like a decapitation with a sheet of glass like whatever you know no big deal this was a fucking like the head does a 360 spinning around in the air and fucking it's insane apparently he kept his own head model and then lost it in his divorce because it was Uh, one of the only things his ex-wife wanted that's heartbreaking <laughs> that's heartbreaking he, he also passed away last year r.i.p who was that guy david warner david warner david yeah. warner so a real treasure he's also in waxworks i think yeah which is when, another really when david one. warner showed up i was like oh hey it's dr who because i knew dr who was in the movie and then like a minute later i'm like that's not david dr warner who not, all david you warner fucking would have been a good doctor he would have been a good dr who but i just realized that every single person in england just looks the same <laughs> You know, and I'm like, oh, yeah, you all look like the second doctor over there. That's John Pertwee? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Quick editor's note here. John Pertwee was actually the third doctor, and Patrick Troughton was the second doctor. I have no idea what I'm talking about when I record this show. Don't fucking listen to a word I say. Which, he has a spectacular death in this, but... Ah. I really go back and forth with The Omen. I saw it at a young enough age that I'll always love it. But the thing that bugs me about The Omen is, like, in a lot of ways, I love Gregory Peck, but he tends to play these, like, dour, humorless characters. And 
I just like don't love any of the characters except for the journalist in this. Like yeah. I almost wish that the journalist was the main character trying to convince the family. I also like didn't love his character at all, but I it didn't matter because it was just like the movie and the story was was just so good. Like I I had so much fun with it this time. It I, it is if you're in the right like Halloween satanic yeah, spirit. It's it's the great devil stuff. Are also great. So I have seen the first like 30 minutes of I think the third or fourth one, the one that's got um Sam Neill that's in it. That's the third one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I can't wait to watch the second one now. I'm I'm an Omen fan. I love the that's fucking awesome. Omen. Yeah, it's great. I'll always have a soft spot for it. All right. Are you ready, Sam? I am so ready. Okay. Here we fucking go. This is what this is what we do. This is what we do, people, you know? This is it. This is the name of the fucking game. Movie number eight. The clue. Stupid, 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 stupid zombie movie that we never thought we would ever find in 35 millimeter. Now, I added a couple extra stupids you to that. You did. I did. Now, now bear in mind, ladies and gentlemen, days and thems, this movie's coming on right at midnight, 12.30, 1 a.m., I don't know. But we are officially in late night territory, you know, and things are about to get fucking weird. I keep saying weird. I got to think of a new adjective. What else do you got? This is what happens to me. Uh, Give me an adjective I can I can cling on to and, and, and fall in love with. And, and Arcane? Yeah. This is when things start getting arcane, people. Things are getting arcane here. All right. Stupid, stupid zombie movie. Which I swore was going to be Garden of the Dead. What? I wrote this down. I got this one you, right. You were I sure knew it. what I this was. I was sure. I was telling everyone, like, no, you, you don't want to leave for number eight because we're getting Zombie 3, 1988, directed by Lucio Fulci. And also Bruno Mattei. What? Yeah, it was co-directed by Bruno Mattei. No, it was directed by Lucio Fulci. Okay. Are you trying to tell me Lucio Fulci's greatest film was directed by Don't Bruno Mattei? Flip this table over on you. Don't fuck. Come on. Lucio Fulci's I greatest film. I love Zombie 3 and I love Bruno Mattei more than anyone should, but Okay, so the those story are fighting words. The story goes is that like a week into shooting Zombie 3, maybe even like a day into shooting Zombie 3, Lucio Fulci gets like swamp fever or some terrible terrible illness i think it might have even killed him well he was sick he, was sick. he had he health issues from probably 85 or 86 on and and he you know he's going to wherever he they got shot that this zombie fever in in the philippines maybe that's what it looks like or he basically just like was like okay i'm dead I'm going to go. Like, I'm done here. I'm done. He just got cold sweats. He had like all the COVID symptoms and just like Was fell apart. Was he the apart. first person to have COVID? Quite possibly. <laughs> I, no, he. I, I like to think that it was called swamp fever. I don't know why I keep going to that. It's it's arcane. But uh, he he gives up. He's like, I'm not making this movie. I am. I'm dead. And Bruno Mattei, king of the fucking, king of the what? <laughs> I don't know. King of the stupid, stupid zombie movies? <laughs> He and Claudio Fergasso. Claudio oh Fergasso is credited too. Zombie 3 is one of my fucking favorite weirdo movies. And I, I've always loved it. I, I loved it when I was a kid. Same. And, and one of the reasons why I, I loved it so much when I was a kid is because when I was a kid, I was a huge zombie fan. I thought like zombies were the coolest because there was this 
the set of rules that these movies from all over the world kind of followed, where it's like you got to shoot them in the head to kill them, they're eating your guts, and they're walking slowly. You know, that was generally the rules that were followed by these movies. And Zombie 3 was the first movie I ever saw that was just like, <laughs> yo, fuck the rules. We got zombies that run. We got zombies Martial that, arts zombies. that fucking teleport. We got a zombie head in a refrigerator. That flies around. That flies out of the fridge. It's it's a fucking crazy movie from beginning to end that never lets up. But it also still has that like... You're all fucked. You're all going to die. There's very, no getting very apocalyptic. There is no yeah. getting out of this. So it still has that like perfect zombie movie feeling while also just being an absolute psychofest. It's totally insane. It so also I think one of the exciting things I've only ever seen this dubbed in English and they played an Italian language print where they did live subtitling and I think Dan who did the live subtitling had had many beers and they weren't always timed no, and no. it was magical. I, I need to say that I, I again same I've only ever watched this movie dubbed in English because it's better why? in Italian. Holy shit. It's so much better in I, Italian. Watching this in Italian to Kenny, to, to, Roger. to read <laughs> to read what they were saying is just so funny. It was the oh. funniest thing. Like I was just getting crushed. And I remember at one point like I looked over at at our friend who was watching with us and I said, uh, I think this is the worst movie I've ever seen in my life. I hate this. I hate Zombie 3. Like kind of as a joke, but also because the movie does make your brains melt out of your nose. It does. And and then 20 minutes later. No, no. (laughs) Two seconds later, something happened and I just fucking died laughing and like just, it's just, it's a great movie. It's perfect. Zombie 3. So during The Omen, I got up to take a bathroom break and ran into Dan from Exhumed and he was this, like, I wish I had recorded this conversation. So Dan was like getting me hyped about zombie three and he didn't tell me what the title was, but he was like, you know what, you know, I know, you know what it is. I know you love the director. I'm so excited to be doing the live subtitles. And he was like, and, and you got to wait until the closing credits because there's a theme song and we have subtitles for the theme song, even though it's in English and it's the best thing ever. And Harry from exhumed, also, ha- like we all happen to be in the lobby at the same time. Harry, without missing a beat, walks up to our conversation, leans over Dan's shoulder, and goes, "It's fucking stupid," and, w- <laughs> and walks away. And oh my god! And and Dan was telling me that they spent like an entire week watching this movie over and over again, checking the print, to, like, in order to check that the subtitles. God bless them. God bless them. Honestly. I'm so grateful to them. They're the best. They are the best. Dan, (laughs) Jesse, Harry, we love you guys so much. You're you're true kings. Yeah, don't have more than two marathons a year, though, because I might die. (laughs) And... But, oh, my God. The the, the the, radio DJ at the end uh, of... Everything mm. about Zombie 3 is wonderful. I get if you're listening to this and you're mad at us because you hate it. Because... 
it is really an irreverent mess. No, fuck you. Fuck you. But uh, it's so no. much if fun. You, if you don't like this <laughs> so movie, then, uh, like, okay, seriously, you are, everyone out there is lucky that I am not, like, an absolute fascist, because if there was, like, a night of long knives for okay, people who don't this like joke. this movie, <laughs> I you'd be done. You'd be done. All right, all right. We love Zombie 3. It, this is also refreshing because I feel like much more than you, I go to the bat for some really low budget psychotronic movies that like like Deathbed is one of my favorite things ever. And so it's it's nice that yeah. you have yours. All right, moving on. Movie number nine was a or the, the clue they gave is later entry in a beloved long-running Euro horror film series that is actually a remake of an earlier film in the same series. I guess this one correctly. The answer is Night of the Werewolf from 1981, directed by the great Paul Nashi. Which, this one has a bunch of names, and I think most people clocked it under the craving, but it bizarrely does not have its own title card yeah oh yeah no title card in this one i also was convinced but was hopeful that it wasn't going to be the hammer frankenstein remake movie which i think is horror frankenstein it's like the sixth or seventh it's yeah like reboot I, with ralph bates i knew it wasn't going to be that because they said it was euro horror and like some people talk about hammer as being euro horror yeah it's not england is not a part of europe it's just a fucking island that's an evil place of, you know, inbred monsters. But the movie that we got from director Paul Nashi, the Spanish film Night of the Werewolf, is amazing. It's wonderful. I understand that there are people out there who don't like Paul Nashi. And and you were kind of one of those yeah, people. I, I was I was a You've Paul, come around. I was a Paul Nashi hater for, for most of my life. It was when I saw Hunchback of the Morgue that everything changed. That movie was, it made me cry, and I loved it. And after that, everything I saw with Paul Nashie, I'm like, oh, that's my fucking boy. That's my boy over there. There are so, still so many that we I need to introduce you to and that I myself need to rewatch. Night of the Werewolf is Paul Nashie's second best that I've seen. It's like colorful. It, it moves yeah. at a nice clip. It's got the great gothic imagery. And there's this amazing scene where this lady dumps her titties out in front of her friend and goes over to a giant bowl of water and splashes water all over her titties and then puts her top back on. It's just great, you know? <laughs> like, what a good scene. And Paul Nashie's mouth has never been wetter. He is just dropping He's buckets. He's, he's dripping the whole movie. Yeah, this is one where I took a break. And I think this was kind of the beginning of the end for me. Because we watched... So we did... If, if you somehow missed us talking about this, we did a crazy thing last year where the weekend after the Exhumed Horrorthon, we did our own 24-hour Horrorthon at home, and we actually watched Night of the Werewolf then. So I took a break, and I talked to our friend Nikki in the lobby all about programming in LA, and like it was, I needed to stand up and stretch my legs, but I think it also, that was around the time when I started to just feel worse. Yeah, and you were, you were falling apart then. So uh, our buddy... 
um, Eric Bresler. He runs the Philomoca. He was sitting next to us for the whole thing. He, he did an episode with us last year on The Man Who Stole the Sun. Great episode. Great guy. One of the most intense movie watchers I've ever had the pleasure of sitting next to. He sat down uh, for the start of the marathon, and he did not stand up once until the end of Night of the Werewolf when he looked at me and said, I'm going home. <laughs> and he was like, this So this was kind of like a defeating moment. Because there are people that fucking hate Paul Nash, that yeah. they don't vibe. And it's like, you sit down, you don't move for 14 hours, and then all of a sudden you're like, I'm done. But it's not it's not Halloween without a Paul Nash film. It's not. Yeah, he's, he's an October man. Yeah, I really want to make you watch, I think it's called Assignment Terror. It's his like monster mash movie where he has every single classic monster in it and he himself plays a mummy and there's mad science it's just it's what i love really want to see that at harathon one year is that he he wants to do everything like he wants to be the guy who gets the girl he wants to be the guy who is the scary werewolf he wants to be the guy that kills the vampires and like he wants to be scary himself too like he wants it all he has it all yeah Yeah, what a fucking hairy little freak that man is. I love him. Me too. All right, all right. Movie number 10. Things are starting to get a little uh, sleepy. and uh, Very sleepy. And Sam's Sam is fading, fading hard. Yeah, I would say this is the last movie I watched most of. And we got one of our favorite horror actors in this loose adaptation of an Edgar Allan Poe tale. And boy, wouldn't you know it, we got Murders in the Rue Morgue, 1932, directed by Robert Flory. And guess what? It's a monkey movie. We got a giant monkey on the loose. Oh, a lady in distress. Who are you? Come with me. Where? My carriage. No, no. Yeah, you trembling at my touch. Your hand is cold. It chilled me. Come. I will help you. Come. We got a monkey movie. We got some torture porn. We got pre-code horror. We got Bella Lugosi. Bella Lugosi? You can't understand a word that man's saying in this movie. No, he's amazing. He's, he's, a, he's so good in it. He's got a mouthful of marbles. And he's got that accent. Where he is? Where is he from again? He's from Hungary. When like growing up, I were like kind of struggling to understand what Dracula was saying, because he had an accent, and I was like, never heard someone with an accent before. I think, and I was like, oh, what the fuck is this thing? And and now like I totally like we just watched the Black Cat for the first time. He's amazing in that. And I I thought after watching the Black Cat that I'm like, damn, I am like. I'm like a scholar in understanding what Bell Lugosi's saying. <laughs> you know, like I get his accent. I know what he's saying. I'm good now. And then watching this movie, I'm like, dude, what are you saying, man? Yeah, his accent was pretty thick in 1932. I think it softened a little bit later in the 30s, but this is one of my personal favorites. I think Robert Flory is really underrated. What else did Robert Flory do? So one of my favorite movies that I is it's on my Harathon wish list. It's called Beast with Five Fingers. It's a Peter mm-hmm. Lorre haunted hand killer movie. Wow, how many of those is he in? Uh two. There you go. 
Yeah. It's, <laughs> I, I would say Murders in the Room Org does have things in common with Mad Love also. Like it, it definitely, they, they sort of would make an ideal double feature, but Robert Flory is a great director. This also has some genuinely disturbing scenes. And I think it in a lot of ways feels more like a German expressionist horror movie than like a universal film, which is kind of, there is overlap, which is kind of neat to see from an American director, you know, like taking those influences and, and using them. And usually it was the Germans or like Eastern Europeans who came over here you know, during World War Two, escaping the Nazis who like made those kinds of movies here, you know? So when you see German expressionism in an American made film, a lot of times the director is like, uh, like who's the guy that made the black cat? That guy's awesome. Edgar uh, Ulmer. Ulmer, yeah. So a lot of those guys came over in the late twenties and early thirties. So like it's, I think it's confusing because they came over because of the Nazis, but they came over like a decade before World War II started. Yeah, they just started sniffing the Nazis. Yeah. They were like, yo, you guys seem fucking killy. Well, Hitler came to power in 32, 33. So it, it was, they were all like, let's get the fuck out of here, which is why you have people trained at Ufa, the German studio, who are working on Dracula and Frankenstein and Mad Love is made by Carl Freund, one of the great yeah. German expressionist cinematographers. It's the other killer hand, Peter Lorre movie. It sure is. Uh, Peter Lorre and Bela Lugosi. I mean, these are the guys that you want to... you want to Yeah, you want to see them at the Harathon. I mean, it's so nice that Harry's now... Harry and Dan and all these Zoom boys are, are now folding in these movies. I, I love it. I mean, to me, what I like watching in basically in the middle of August to start getting into the mood for Halloween are those 30s movies. Dr. Morocco in the Rue Morgue is guilty of four murders so far this week. And by now, perhaps a fifth. All right, all right. What time is it? What time is it? It is... 5 a.m. It's 5 a.m. That's right. Movie 11. It's 5... Uh, the clue is, it's 5 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> is this ridiculous horror slash action slash fantasy slash Christian propaganda film really happening? Or are we hallucinating the whole thing? It's hard to say. I forget who, but somebody guessed that this was Exorcist 2, which, no. which I... <laughs> Which I knew that it couldn't be based on the running time. It's too long. But I wanted it so badly. And that this is when I... So the movie number 11 is The Killing of Satan from 1983, directed by Efren Pinion. And I watched, I would say, about half of it. But the whole time I was just like, I you wish I was watching Exorcist 2. Also, I'm dying. Yeah, you <laughs> you had officially completely fallen apart at this point. Uh, so this movie, it's it's Philip. OK, I, I actually I took this from the the IMDb description because there's like like how do you describe insanity like this kind of just like sheer madness of a movie and the IMDb description that I, I, I stole 
says, A Filipino-made horror fantasy movie about a man who was chosen by his dead uncle to battle the forces of evil. He fights a being called the Prince of Magic, who shoots rays from his hands, makes heads spin around, and hypnotizes people. He finally faces Satan himself and engages him in a battle of magic. This is one of those lightning-out-of-the-fingers kinds of movies and it's one of those just like kind of insane what the fuck things that usually you think of as as Hong Kong cinema. Yeah, it is. It does have a lot of overlap with Hong Kong black magic movies. But what we what, what was so interesting about this print was I don't know where the fuck Harry found this thing. Like this is a weird one. It was a it's a Filipino movie dubbed in English and subbed in Spanish. Because I think a lot of these movies from the Philippines and from Indonesia and also like Hong Kong and Asia broadly had a market in in Mexico. Mexico had a pretty vibrant film scene. And for some reason, a lot of those movies made it over there. And which is why like you'll see like interesting Mexican posters for them. And same for Mexican films in in Thailand, especially. They got big releases over there, too. So there was like a, a you know, a bridge over there. So when they were... Um, sending this print overseas, they're like, okay, we need to have Spanish subtitles and an English dub just so we can hit the most people with this print. And honestly, the print looked clean as a whistle. I don't know when it screened or where it screened. Such an oddball thing. I think also we would have to do more research about this to come up with a clear answer because I bet there is one. But I know that Spanish as a language has a pretty big presence in the Philippines. And there's a lot of like Filipino Spanish Creole languages spoken. And so I wonder if they just subtitled things in Spanish just to sort of like cover that local market yeah i I want to do more research into this and i want to watch more of these like oddball movies it does have some of that hong kong black magic stuff like there's this fucking incredible scene where the main character you don't realize it at the time but he's having a dream sequence and he imagines that this guy who's asking him for help gets run over by a boulder. Oh, that was like the first oh wacko scene. Yeah, and you yeah. see the dead guy mushed into the ground, except his head is fine and he's still talking to him. Yeah. But a lot of it is like a melodrama. Like yeah. there's a very soap opera vibe. So the point of this movie and and the melodrama and the fact that it is 5 a.m. is that I think you are supposed to be falling asleep now. You're supposed to be like blinking for like, you know, 10 minutes. Like that was a long ass blink. And then you open your eyes and it's just like... Insanity. Insanity. That's what he, that's what Exhumed does at that running slot, which makes sense. Yeah, I mean, this was at this time slot in year one, that's when they had that weird pregnancy movie, that oh, like after God. school special teenage mother thing. I had to go outside and smoke. This is when I still smoked. I had to go outside and smoke cigarettes. No, I, I, was, I was dead asleep and I opened my eyes at the craziest of times. All right, all right. Killing of Satan, that was a, a weirdo 5 a.m. flick. And now we're moving on to one of my favorite movies. Well, not like my favorite movie specifically, but one of my favorite movies at the horror I love it when they do this. 
Movie number 12 was a solid horror anthology from the studio that specialized in solid horror anthologies. Sam, what's the studio? The studio is Amicus. And what's the movie? The House That Dripped Blood by Peter Duffel from 1971. Vampires, voodoo, vixens, and victims. You'll find them all in the house that dripped One of my other favorite kind of like transitional genres or subgenres is the horror anthology movie that I think are fun to watch for Halloween, but also kind of getting into the wintertime because for me, they just have such a cozy feeling. And usually not every year, but almost every year they've played a horror anthology and it, it's like it wouldn't be Harathon without one. Yeah, and I love The House That Drip Blood. I think I, I prefer this one to some other Amicus ones, especially Torture Garden. Obviously, it doesn't quite touch Tales from the Crypt or Vault of Horror, which I think... What does? Those are the two goats with the anthology movies. But, I mean, this and one's Dr. got... Dr. Terror's House of Horrors is... Yeah, that one's fun. That one's fun. I, lo- I love that one. That's that's a personal favorite. But, I mean, this one's... It's got Peter Cushing. You'll love to see that guy's face... Ingrid Pitt. I think so. Uh, I love her. I I like pretty much all classic era horror anthologies. I can't say that The House That Drip Blood is one of my favorites, but I think Ingrid Pitt really steals the film. Yeah. It's and, still worth watching. And like the hook of it being this, uh, it's just like all these different stories that take place in the same house. It's, I don't know. It's yeah, fun. It's, it's cute. It's fun stuff. But uh, obviously, we were dying when this yes, movie played. Yes, I was downstairs in this, like, curled up in this chair, just, like, wanting to die. Yeah, if I if I hadn't seen it before, it probably would have destroyed me because I would have had to watch it, you know? I'm like, yeah. oh, my God, it's an amicus anthology I haven't seen. Like, I can't leave. I have to sit here and explode, you know, like the yes. guy in Scanners. But I, I was definitely relieved that it was one I had already seen. This is a totally random question for you. Have you ever seen The Dorm That Dripped Blood? No. So I think it's a slasher. I know it's a Christmas movie because I started watching it one year and fell asleep. But I wonder if anyone's double featured The House That Dripped Blood and The Dorm That Dripped Blood. We got to have a little blood drip day. Yeah, maybe that's in our future. (laughs) Hey, blood drip day. (laughs) Movie 13. The clue is a strong cast and cool creature design makes this derivative sci-fi monster movie worth watching. Full disclosure, we hightailed it out just as soon as this movie started. Sam was dying. I had to take her home. had to put her ass to bed. Thank you. No problem. I uh, didn't act like I was mad. Or like my entire world was crumbling around me. And I have since gotten over it. But we missed Leviathan. 1989. George Cosmatos. Cosmatos? Cosmatos. Cosmatos. These fucking Greeks. What are they coming up with next? I mean, this is the man who directed Cobra. And Tombstone, although I've heard... I've heard disputes that Kurt Russell actually directed. Yeah, I, I heard this guy was kind of uh, MIA and Kurt Russell was like, all right, dude, fucking give me this shit. And like, yeah, yeah, Kurt Russell directed it and he gave all of his best lines to uh, Val Kilmer and like kind of made him the secret star. I mean, I think the script gave all the best lines to Val Kilmer. No, They're... they were Kurt Russell's lines that he gave to Val Kilmer. Really? Yeah. 
I don't know. It's an anecdote that I heard. I've actually never seen Tombstone. So I don't know if I believe that. And I think if you watch Tombstone, the real zingers that Val Kilmer's character Doc Holliday has, they wouldn't make any sense coming from Kurt Russell's character. It's it's fucking amazing. It's like his best performance. But anyway, Leviathan. Now showing at Blockbuster Video. From MGM UA Home Video, experience the true meaning of fear. Leviathan, rated R, available on video cassette from MGM UA Home Video. This collector's edition movie poster calendar with $36 worth of free video rentals is free when you buy a book of 10 Blockbuster gift certificates. So give the gift certificates and keep the calendar for yourself. We uh, we have since we, we did our makeup work, you know, we came home and, and we watched the movies that we missed, sort of. Uh, and we watched Leviathan. Yeah, I really liked it. It was fine. But this this, this particular time slot, it seems like they program definitely 80s, bigger budget, kind of weirder sci-fi horror crossovers. Yeah, things that kind of slipped through the cracks. Which this definitely, like, I didn't, I wouldn't say I loved it, but... I, I think what I heard about Leviathan and even their description of it being derivative, it still was, I enjoyed it. Like, yeah. it looks great. The creature effects are wonderful. Yeah, what's funny is that, like, I was expecting this to just be an alien knockoff. Yeah. Which, like, I mean, it is at times. times. But really what it is, is it's a thing knockoff. It's a knockoff of John Carpenter's The Thing. But underwater. Underwater. Like, the creature, the Rick Baker creature is like uh, oh yeah weird lovecraft fish freak thing that has all of the bodies of the people it's killed like within its skin it's it, wonderful it, yeah it's cool and and what's his name uh the guy from bushwhacked daniel stern oh i was gonna say robocop no oh no 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 robocop's in it too yeah we got robocop bushwhacked we got a ghostbuster we got a ghostbuster in here oh man and ernie hudson has a great one-liner i love ernie hudson what was his one-liner oh there's this dialogue where they're having an exchange with meg foster who is a character that you mostly only see through a tv screen she's like this executive who obviously is evil. Yeah, they cast Meg Foster in these roles because she has these, like, insane eyes. Robot eyes. Eyes like glass. The blackest eyes. The devil's eyes. They can leave where they are and and go to hell. And he's like, we're already in hell, bitch. Oh, that's (laughs) it. Yeah, hell yeah. Ernie Hudson. You'll love to see him. So good. Yeah, I I liked Leviathan. I mean, it definitely, like, is like a three out of five movie you know yeah. it's like a middle of the road like i i understand why this one isn't super fondly remembered or has a huge cult following but also like it's not shouldn't be completely forgotten like it's a neat little thing and it came out the same year as the abyss and, and deep star six Deep star six yeah. so this was just a year where it's like yo under- underwater it's yeah. real scary <laughs> yeah we're doing underwater shit this year that's so weird how that happens it's like, also like to your point about this being kind of a ripoff of the thing it's like the thing is what 1982 and these movies are at the end of the decade so i'm not sure why they all happened in one year yeah. Is the Abyss is James Cameron, right? Our fearless leader. Not mine. Yours, perhaps. All right. All right. Before we start bashing Before the great we come to blows. James Cameron, we're going to talk about one of the greatest movies 
ever made. Oh my God. The Horrorthon is back, baby. And we got movie number 14 bloody, brutal, and shocking modern slasher thriller. Fuck this movie. Okay, so Exhum does this thing, usually not at this specific second to last slot, but usually one of the last slots is a newer horror movie. And for me, it kind of goes back and forth in this interesting way, where one year I'll be so fucking pissed about it and just leave and not watch the movie, like the year that they forced us to sit through 30 Days of Night. But... Then last year, they played The Descent, which I never liked until I saw it last year. Yeah, I think that's also because The Descent is is genuinely scary. And it was so weird to have a movie at the end of this whole marathon and you could feel fear in the crowd of like people like being scared of the movie. Like some of them never seen it before. Like, oh yeah. shit. Like, and, and that was really nice. It was. Like, it was I, great. It kind of... Last year, I want to say I took a little bit of a nap around 5 or 6 a.m. So I watched the whole thing refreshed and it like helped wake me up more. Yeah, I, I, I really like this this newer trend that they're doing in their, their programming and their curation at these long marathons of having something more modern at the end, towards the end, just because of the pacing. Like the pacing of these modern movies are they're they're faster they're clippier the editing is also faster yes i i i get it It, it'll it'll keep you awake and i think it's also an ideal are we gonna say the fucking title of the movie no okay we we don't have to we don't have the movie is 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 high the movie the, (laughs) the movie is high tension from 2003 by alexandra aha and this was a movie I saw in theaters. Me too. I was fucking hyped. I was hyped. It played as, I don't know if this is how you saw it, but it played as part of the Danger After Dark component of the Philadelphia Film Festival, no. which often had a lot of great international bangers, like Audition played there. And this is one of those movies where I was like, yeah, okay, I'm I'm with it for the first hour. And... It's it's just like it gets more offensive with age. Yeah. So I loved this movie when it came out. I loved it so much. I ordered a French DVD online because it like I was like, I need to see this movie without again. the again and without the terrible dubbing because the dubbing is awful. They're like not even it's just such a bad dub. And because we weren't in the theater when this screened at the Horathon. I don't know whether it played dubbed or subbed or not. I, I assume it was dubbed because that's what came over to the U.S., but who knows? Anyway. Oh, the version I saw was subtitled. I, I, oh, cool. So who knows what screen of the horathon? Uh, please tell us. And I, I loved this movie. I watched it like five times, and then the sixth time I watched it, I was like, this movie fucking sucks. I like that it, it, you came around to the right opinion eventually. Wow, wow. 
<laughs> yeah, I and I really I want to say that I do appreciate that you call the movie high tension and not hot tension. Hot. Hot. They don't say the H if it comes as the first letter. Ugh, Jesus. There are a lot Christ. of insane rules yeah. that change mm. constantly in the French language, so it's not even just yeah. like say it however you want. I'm do pretty you know sure what the British do and say it the wrong way on purpose. The French language is as bad as the British culture. You know, it's just a an awful. Okay, that's not even fair. All right, all right, all right. But anyway, it, but this, high tension this can... movie. Okay, yes. so but say something nice about it. Let's hear. Let's hear a nice thing from the cranky girl in the corner okay cranky girl in the corner what i liked about it when i saw it when it came out was for most of the movie it's basically these friends go to this country house to spend the weekend except a serial killer or evil slasher guy follows them and starts killing them and there's this really, really funny scene in the beginning where the serial killer dude is sitting in a truck yes. with this lady he killed and he cuts off her head and he uses her head to as, fillet himself yeah, as like a vagina in a can. Basically, he's like, OK, here we go. I don't I don't think he uses her mouth. I think he uses her neck hole. Her neck hole. Yes. Thank God. You. I yeah, that's good stuff. And OK, so but, but it's like it's the way that it's presented is cheeky. Like it's kind of funny. And so you yes, think maybe you're going to get this like gross raunchy movie. But what I think I liked about it so much at the time was that it came out at a time when it was actually kind of the tail end of the of the 90s, 2000s slasher boom where all of these slasher movies were just kind of coming out and every single one of them kind of had this element of who's that annoying guy the 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 guy who wrote uh, Buffy Joss Whedon it, they all kind of had They're this quippy. like they had this like quippy fucking chitty chatty oh no uh, the, the killer and they like talk to each other and they joke and they break the tension and they're like but I think that's more of a scream thing than it is. Yes, but I, no, that's from that era of, of slasher, of slasher yeah. movies were kind of like that. And like the actual like slasher stuff, like it wasn't, they weren't that scary. They were just kind of like fun times, you know, with jump scares occasionally. And what High Tension did that I really admired when it came out was it took things seriously. And those two girls were fucking terrified. Yes. And they watched the girl's family die. And they were like, and they just watched this the, all these brutal killings. And they are like trapped, you know? Obviously, the movie has an incredible twist ending that we don't want to spoil. We're going to spoil it. No, I, I, I don't want to spoil the fact that she is actually the killer. It's and like a double thing. in love with her best friend. Yes, and it's, we're it's not really, spoiling that. It's really homophobic. Yeah, we're not spoiling any of that good stuff. It's, oh my God. So, okay. Fuck it. Let's get out of here. Let's move on. Yeah. Fuck this. Done. We're done. Yeah. I'm honestly, thank you, COVID, for making me not have to watch High Tension. Yeah. And you know what? Fuck the exhumed guys. What are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing? Your program movie that Sand don't like? Are you nuts? How could you do this to us? All right. Movie 15, the final movie of the day. God damn. I wish we could have seen I this. I know. This is my biggest regret. I wish. Yes. I feel awful because... All right. Ah, this kills me. Okay, kills read, me. read the clue. All right, movie 15. Exhumed screened this horror classic relatively recently, but we have long dreamt of showing it at a 24-horror-thon. 
Therefore, we are showing it at a 24 horathon. And that movie is the glorious Hellraiser 2 Hellbound from Tony Randall in 1988, one of the greatest horror sequels of all time. It's a wonderful film, and I knew that this is exactly what they would be screening because during maybe the first 10 horathons, they would periodically say, the movie that we want to show more than any other is Hellraiser 2, but there's no print available. And maybe last summer, maybe two summers ago, they screened it. And we didn't see it then either, and we didn't see it this time, and we're fucking screwed. But, you know what I feel like? I feel like, print. did you ever see uh, Bad Lieutenant? You know the scene when Harvey Keitel's like completely naked, and he's just going... <laughs> That's how you feel right That's now. That's how I feel. I feel like Harvey Keitel, naked and bad lieutenant, just got done doing heroin with some fucking sex workers in a hotel room, and he's just moaning to the gods above. Ugh, I love Hellraiser 2. It's Hell, so good. It's, it's one of the greatest sequels of all time. You're absolutely right when you said that. And I, I think one of the reasons why it's so fucking good, and it, it doesn't get nearly enough credit for this, and a lot of... Uh, Okay, I, I've been grinding this axe for a little while. It's a very annoying axe, but in, in recent years, I have sort of turned against some of my favorite horror movies. I brought this up recently on an episode. There was this this thing that these movies did, like the sequel to Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the sequel to Phantasm, the sequel to Evil Dead. So many of these sequels, the part two, they're like, oh, we don't know what to do, so we're just going to make fucking jokes. We're going to make a funny movie. And, like, don't get me wrong, the movies are good. I, I do actually love them. But they're comedies. And they're sequels to movies that are genuinely terrifying. Hellraiser 2 does what I want. It, it is a perfect sequel. It's just as scary as the first one. The imagery is just as haunting. And it, and it uses the hospital setting and it rings it for all of the fucking like, because hospitals are scary places. And like Halloween too, no offense, that hospital is not scary. It's just a place for nurses to have boobs in. That you know? hospital's kind of scary. Kind but of. I'm also kind of scared of hospitals. But this one, like, it's just, it's... It's a scary fucking movie. It's gross. The effects are so good. Oh, I wish we were there to watch it. It's it's such a beautiful film. And it one of my favorite things that horror sequels do, and this goes all the way back to the 30s with a movie like Dracula's Daughter, is when horror sequels address the fact that, yes, their main character survived, but they are likely incredibly traumatized. And also, we now have to deal with the intrusion of the real world. Like, in Dracula's Daughter, there's this whole scene where they arrest Van Helsing because they're like, why did you put a stake through this guy's heart? Like, what the hell's going on here? And while it doesn't really get that literal in Hellraiser 2, it still deals with like, how could Christy possibly have a life after she goes through all of this? Yeah. And I, I do like that they bring in the sort of mental illness. Yeah. And honestly, having the evil stepmom character kind of take the Uncle Frank mantle, she is so scary. She's like so wet and Those bloody. Those creature effects are so, oh, they're so good. good. And all of the stuff that's actually in hell or wherever is just, it's just awesome. It's such an awesome looking movie. You know, in the first one, yeah, Pinhead's daddy. 
You know, he's got that fucking sexy leather man who's going to tear your ass up vibe and you love him. And in this one, it's just like cranked up a little higher. It's not quite to the comedic levels that three gets to. Like this one's not like the third one is when they start being a little silly, having a little fun. You know, they're shooting CDs at each other and shit. This one is like it's no joke. It's scary. I I love Hellraiser 2. This one has the chatterer, though. Yeah. We see, is he in the first one? I haven't seen the first one in a long time. Chatterbox. Everyone loves Chatterbox. I love all the fucking Cenobites. All right, Sam, if you were going to be a Cenobite, what Cenobite? Okay, you have to make up a new one. What's your Cenobite? Wow. I have to think about this for a minute. I'll tell you what mine is. All right, my Cenobite is a guy who's got like sort of like slit vagina with teeth eyes like the sarlacc pit sort of sure um except i have this like little opening in my like just under my neck and it's got a tongue and the tongue licks you and you put your nose in my vagina eyes and and it like cuts off your nose so i like i lick you with my tongue and it burns you a little bit and i got vagina nose eyes what do you do I think I would be some sort of crazy autopsy surgeon Cenobite with just like the scalpels and saws everywhere. There you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you got to have something sticking out of you, don't you? Yeah, I would have like a little saw on the top of my head or something. Love it. Love right? it. Right? Hell yeah. Also, the, cha- the Chatterer is part two. Wow. He's, he's like he so iconic in. that I assume that he's like, oh yeah, he's in all of them, man. That Chattering Teeth guy's in all of them. And that I weird, okay, him. you know that one scene when she's in the in the hospital bed and she's like having a weird vision and she goes down this like hallway that it's like, so it's scary. like a hole in the wall. Oh, okay. All right. We love Hellraiser 2. We love Exhumed Films. We love the 24-hour horror we're sorry that we got sick and that we infected anybody else. We don't know if we got sick there, if we brought it. We're, we're, we're probably evil convectors of a terrible disease like the rats in Nosferatu, and we apologize for that. But we saw so many great, of our, great friends there, people that we only see once a year at this event, and it's just like, it's so nice to go. And like, fucking Nikki the Fox was there. He flew in from California. Nikki the Fox. It was so good to meet him. Oh, fucking the all we need is sleaze guy. Mike Giallo showed up from Boston. I never seen that handsome guy. Did he really? You didn't see him? No. Oh my God, he was in line with us. There, okay, so I run into this problem every year where I... I a huge hug. I, I just like, I somehow managed to miss people who are right near me. So apologies if I missed you. Ryan Hendo flew I, in. If I talked to you in Danger was delirium. there. Oh my gosh. Yeah, people I mean, came in from all over. And it was just, it was so nice to see all of our best friends. We were really sad that we didn't see you, Liam. I know you're listening. You fucking coward. You need to come next year and get COVID with us. Don't make fun of Liam. I'm he he couldn't Liam. come because his mom was getting surgery. All right. And all so we right, had right, he right, had right, to delay his trip. He's off, off the hook. But if we don't see you next year, you're dead. Yeah, I'm going to blow up Chicago. Hell yeah, we should do it anyway, just for fun. I like Chicago. Yeah, it's all right. (laughs) All right, all right. We're tired, folks. We're sick. We're dying. We'll see you next time. I need to go take some ivermectin. Excuse me. Wow. The horse tranquilizer? Isn't that what... Oh, wait, no, no, not not a horse tranquilizer. That's ketamine. No, (laughs) ivermectin is the horse dewormer. That's right, that's right. That's what we need. Yeah, we're taking some ivermectin now, folks. And everything will be fine, I'm sure, after that. Yeah, what are you drinking over there? Is that bleach? 
Yeah. Give me a little sip. Well, Trump said that it will wipe out any bacteria. Yo, you think he's coming back? You think our boy's coming back? Oh, my God. I, at this point, I hope another round of COVID takes me out and I don't have to be here for the next election. All right, all right. Let's go die. Okay. Happy Halloween. Oh, yeah, we go. Happy Halloween with everybody. Love, love.